Acts 15, some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some of the other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they travelled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were appointed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Believe God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you... Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins will be will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from God, that from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas called Bar Sabbath and Silas, 
two men who were leaders among the brothers. And with them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Please leave your Bibles open there at Acts chapter 15. Father God, as we approach your word this morning, help us to do so humbly. Help us to do so in the power of your spirit as you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to hear what you have for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the story goes, some soldiers who were stationed in France during the Second World War wanted to bury a, a friend and a fellow soldier who had died in battle. And being from a foreign country, they wanted to ensure that their friend received a proper burial. And so they searched and searched until they finally found a well-kept cemetery with a low stone wall that went all the way around and that sat right next to the local Catholic church. Trouble was that when they spoke to the priest, he told them that unless their friend had been baptised a Catholic, he wouldn't be able to be buried in the Catholic cemetery. Now the priest saw the look on their faces as he said those words. He saw their disappointment. And so as a concession to care for these soldiers, he showed them a spot just outside of the wall where they could bury their friend. But then sadly, because the soldiers had no other choice, they reluctantly buried their friend just outside the wall. The next day, the soldiers came back to give a final visit to the grave of their fallen comrade before they headed off to another station. But despite searching the length of the outside of that wall, he was nowhere to be found. They could not find the grave. They said, surely we must be mistaken. It was, it was right there. Confused and distressed, they went and talked to the priest. 
And they asked him what had happened to their friend's grave. And the priest replied, Last night I couldn't sleep. I was so troubled that your friend had to be buried outside of the cemetery walls that I got up in the middle of the night and moved the fence. During this week, I taught a, a scripture class in our local school. And in that uh, class, I asked this question. Do you think Christians are good at making people feel welcome? It's a risky question, isn't it? When I asked that question, I actually expected to get some negative answers. But one of the students put up their hand and gave me the answer I'm pretty sure they thought I wanted to hear which was, yes, Christians are always good at making everybody feel welcome. But I had to admit to that class that that isn't always the case. Now, don't get me wrong, I think Christians want to be welcoming. They want people from outside of the church to feel as though they can join with us any time they want. But we also want them to, those who join us, to be like us to worship like us, to serve like us, and to live like us. And that's only natural because that's the way, that's the thing that makes us most feel comfortable. But in today's passage, all believers in every generation are being challenged to put first things first. And remember that faith in Jesus is the only dividing line the only dividing line between those inside the church and those outside of the church. Today's passage is calling us to move that fence out wherever we can so that the only obstacle to anyone putting their faith in Jesus is the cross. Today's passage begins by telling us that some men were travelling around telling people that unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, no one had commissioned these guys to go and do this. They'd gone off on their own bat and they were now travelling around telling people to obey the law of Moses. This was their good news. This was their gospel. But it wasn't good news at all. We think back to last week in chapter 14, we saw how much Paul and Barnabas had suffered so that they could share the good news of Jesus. They were thrown out of Sydney, uh, cities. They were, uh, Paul was stoned within an inch of his life and they faced opposition just about everywhere they went. But Paul and Barnabas willingly went through all of this suffering because they knew that the good news of salvation through Jesus has the power to free people from sins and to restore their relationship with God. And so they went through all this suffering because they really were sharing good news, the good news that brings eternal life to those who believe. In contrast, these men who had set out to tell people to obey the law of Moses, well, they weren't going from place to place sharing a life-saving message. Instead, they were going around teaching that whoever wants to worship God the right way must worship him just like them. 
As Jews, they would have grown up under the old covenant, under the law of Moses. It was what they knew. It was what they felt comfortable with. And having all of these non-Jewish people coming to faith in Jesus and worshipping the Lord very differently from them and living very differently from them made them feel very uncomfortable. They didn't believe that's how God should be worshipped. These men were, were genuinely, they genuinely believed that they were protecting God's holiness. But while they thought they were defending God's holiness, what they were actually doing was unsettling the faith of some and causing a serious conflict in the local church. As Paul and Barnabas connected with them, they began to debate about these things. They tried to convince them that they were on the wrong track. But once they realized that they weren't getting anywhere with these people, Paul and Barnabas, along with the other believers, traveled to Jerusalem to get some outside help to, to deal with this conflict. But even as Paul and Barnabas met with the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem, some of the believers, now notice it says believers. So these are people who have heard the good news of Jesus, believed it, but who are also holding on to the law. Some of these believers, who are also Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey all the law of Moses. It's understandable, really, because for around 1,800 years, the Jews had been set apart as a nation, and they'd been set apart by this different way that they worshipped God, by observing the law of Moses. They'd grown up thinking that that was the one and only way to worship God. And so it's not surprising that some of these early Jewish believers were struggling to accept that all that had changed because of what Jesus had done on the cross. So to settle this matter, the apostles and the elders in the church of Jerusalem met together along with Paul and Barnabas to consider this important matter. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? Who is it that really belongs? Now, this meeting probably went on for quite a while because we're told that there was a great deal of discussion that took place. But after everybody had discussed this matter thoroughly, Peter stood up and reminded them that around 10 years ago, by this point, God had sent him to the house of Cornelius. Now, what Peter's referring to there are the events of chapter 10. So we're now 10 years later than chapter 10. Peter was given this vision of clean and unclean animals being lowered down from the sheet. And then a messenger from Cornelius ended up at his front gate. So he went and visited Cornelius. And while he was there, the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit just as the Jews had done on the day of Pentecost. Peter pleaded with those who were there, who were trying to get people to go back to God's law. He pleaded with them, saying, 
Why do you try and test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we or our fathers have been able to bear? Peter was saying, why would you expect these non-Jewish believers to try and, why would you expect them to fulfill the law of Moses when there has never been a generation of Jews who have been able to fulfill all of God's law fully? Peter was adamant. He knew that they were saved through faith in Jesus and faith in him alone. But sadly, even the Apostle Peter, who was convinced that believers are saved by grace and grace alone, even he would have to be reminded of this very fact later on by the Apostle Paul, which you can read about in Galatians chapter 2. This shows us just how radical the message of salvation through Jesus was to those who had grown up under the law of Moses. Peter knew he had actually seen God pouring his spirit out on the Gentiles. He had proclaimed salvation by grace and grace alone on many, many different occasions. But even knowing the good news of Jesus, he struggled to recognize the good news of Jesus with how he'd grown up and with what he'd always been taught. After Peter spoke, Paul and Barnabas shared how their first missionary trip in the book of Acts had gone, how they'd seen God do amazing things, pouring out his spirit on the Gentiles, which confirmed everything that Peter had just said. Then James, this is James, the brother of Jesus, stood up and addressed the meeting. He explained how the Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Amos a prophecy that God had given his people long, long time ago, that the Gentiles will bear the name of the Lord. So James made a recommendation, a recommendation that the meeting would ultimately adopt. He encouraged the meeting not to make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to the Lord, but to instead send them a letter and give them three recommendations on how to live godly lives. These recommendations were that the Gentiles should abstain from food that had been sacrificed to idols, to abstain from sexual immorality, and to abstain from eating meat that has its blood still in it, or from consuming blood itself. Seems like a fairly obvious list for us, doesn't it? We've grown up with a list like that. But for those who had grown up worshipping false gods, those who had grown up doing pagan worship, these would have been normal ways that these non-Jewish people worshipped their false gods. And so this was a really helpful guide to these early Gentile believers. These recommendations weren't given to set a bar. You have to reach this level or you're not in, like the law of Moses. These were given to help them to not cause their Jewish or Gentile brothers or sisters in Christ to sin. It's Romans 14 verse 15 tells us, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are not acting in love. 
Do not, by your eating, destroy someone whom Christ died for. These recommendations weren't about law-keeping. They were a guide to help these Gentile believers love their brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they be Jews or Gentiles, to promote unity amongst the believers, to put aside and put away this division and this conflict, and to help them to live godly lives that honour Christ. And so in today's passage, we are being warned not to allow our customs and our traditions to be elevated to the status of law. If our traditions, the traditions of our congregation, are in any way dividing the body of Christ in a way that Scripture doesn't, then those traditions or rules need to be held accountable to God's word. We should be actively seeking to remove any unnecessary obstacle to people feeling welcome amongst the body of Christ, amongst the church, or and welcome coming to faith in Christ or continuing in their walk with him. Because our culture, our traditions, they are not the gospel. They are not how we are saved. They are just the way we've chosen to worship and not the way we always have to worship. In these verses, we see men travelling great distances by foot in order to share a message that they thought was of first importance. These men were adamant that people needed to obey the law of Moses. They thought they were serving the Lord by doing this. What they were really doing was undermining the completed work of Christ. Sadly, this message that they were travelling around to share had become their gospel. It had become their good news, the one thing that they wanted everybody to hear. That should make us wonder and think and reflect on what is our good news seems like there's a really obvious answer to that question. At least I hope it seems like an obvious answer. Our good news is the life-saving message of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. How he paid for our sins by dying on the cross once for all and rose again to show that he has the power over the grave so that those who put their faith in him have life forever in him. Sounds like an obvious answer. But sometimes all followers of Jesus can make the same mistake as these men. They can get so passionate about their end times theology or about spiritual gifts or about a particular way to worship or any number of other theological things, and that can be the message that they think that everybody needs to hear. That can become their gospel. Today's passage is warning us to put our pet doctrines and personal preferences aside and to keep first things first for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ and for the sake of the gospel. The man who travelled around to tell whoever would listen to obey God's law had no confidence, no security in Christ. 
and in what he had done on the cross. And so they were trying to find the confidence that they lacked in God's law, in the law of Moses. And sadly, we often do the same thing. Have you ever noticed that when a believer is doubting their faith, they'll say things like, I'm not a very good Christian because I haven't read my Bible today or I haven't had a quiet time or I've missed church a fair bit or haven't been to Bible study or because I've been struggling with this particular sin. When we allow ourselves to feel good about ourselves because we've done all the right Christian things or bad about ourselves when we haven't, we're telling ourselves the same message as these men who are travelling around trying to teach the law of Moses. We're telling ourselves that we're saved by what we do. We're giving ourselves a, a list that we can tick off to feel good about our faith or to condemn ourselves. When we do this, we're losing sight of the fact that our very best Christian works, our very best good works are like sin-stained rags. They're like rubbish compared to the perfect, completed work of Christ and the forgiveness that he bought for us through his blood. These verses are warning us not to move that fence in to make coming to Jesus harder for anyone. But they're also warning us not to move that fence in and to make our own walk with the Lord harder, to make it harder for us to have security in Christ, to have confidence in what he has done. But rather, these verses are encouraging us to move that fence out wherever we can, to remove any stumbling blocks, anything that gets in the way other, of somebody coming to Christ other than the cross itself. And even though we might feel like we have let God down at times, one point or another, when we repent, he forgives because we are saved by grace and grace alone. As Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Let's pray. Father God, we want to recognise that we can't always see the stumbling blocks that we put up. But Lord, we also want to recognise that we don't want them to be there, Lord. So we pray, Lord, if there are anything that we are doing as a congregation which is putting up a fence around and making it harder for people to come to you, we pray that you would reveal that to us. We pray that you would help us to remove whatever that is. And Lord, if that wall that we're putting up is us, we pray that you would work in our hearts. We pray that you would help us to be more and more like Jesus. And Lord, this morning, as we reflect on these verses, help us not to find confidence in anything we do, but to find our confidence and our hope for life beyond the grave in what you have done for us on the cross. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.